Hello, and welcome to the Smarter Conversations podcast, where we'll be weaving together voices from the cotton supply chain. This podcast is brought to you by the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol. I'm your host, Kathy Smith. I'm an independent freelance journalist. This podcast series does exactly what the name implies. I'm going to be talking to some of the key movers and shakers in the global textile supply chain to dig into the world of cotton. So we're on episode nine of our podcast series and our subject today is biodiversity and we're focusing on how the protection of biodiversity starts from the field with cotton growers developing more and more sustainable production techniques and joining me today are two growers who signed up to the Cotton Trust Protocol. We have Sledge Taylor and Marshall Hardwick. Welcome to you both. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you for having great, us. Thank great you. to see you. Now, Sledge, you're in, I think, Coma, Mississippi. Is that right? That's correct. So tell us a little bit more about your life there. I mean, you've been growing cotton for quite some time, I think. I have. I think I've been farming for 47 years now. I uh, was born here in Como and have lived pretty much my whole life here. Uh, it's a very small town, probably 1,500 people here in kind of a rolling hill area that. Uh, uh, it's really a beautiful area uh, in northern Mississippi, about an hour south of Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, right. Memphis, I have been to, but I've never been as far as you are. So, uh, Marshall, and you're in uh, Louisiana, is that right? Yes, that is correct. Uh, Milton, Louisiana, which is in the northeast part of Louisiana, uh, along the Mississippi River. Uh, like Mr. Sledge, very small town um, of about 1,500 people. And... Um, you know, it's very rural, and, and I'm a fourth-generation cotton farmer, and I farm with my dad and older brother. I love this, the, the whole family farming thing, that we've come across this so much on this podcast. It's still, the families are there, which is a wonderful thing to hear. So, Sledge, we're talking about biodiversity today. What do, what do you understand by biodiversity? What, what do you understand it to be, and how important is it to you? Well, the... <clears throat> Biodiversity, I, to me, once upon a time, I think maybe the entire world had kind of a reductionist look at whatever you were doing, and you would reduce it down to the simplest things. But we, we find out that you know, the more we know, that we don't know very much, but we do know that we, it's better to take a holistic approach uh, within a community or a farm or, or whatever, because there, there are certain aspects of diversity that uh, that have benefits that we may not fully understand. So to, to me, biodiversity means that we are incorporating a, a lot of things within nature. Uh, we're not reducing them down to their to the to the basics. We're we're kind of incorporating them into a, a whole model. And uh, where I live, uh, we have uh, we have farmland, we have uh, pasture land or, or grazing land. And we have woods. And so we, we see quite a bit of diversity here just with the different ecosystems. And over the years, have you seen a difference? Have you seen a change in the wildlife that, that, that's around and, and the, the way things are growing? Well, uh, once upon a time, there was a lot of agriculture in, in this area. And, uh, and people farmed on a much smaller scale. And so and times where, you know, there was a depression and times were hard and people actually ate a lot of the wildlife that was there. Well, now that people have moved to the towns, there are not as many people on the farm. We've seen wildlife 
just abound. I mean, we have deer, we have turkey, we have bobcat. I mean, we have things that I never saw as a child. We 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 have now. I mean, we have geese. We never used to see uh, Canada geese this far south, and now we have them year round. So uh, the the wildlife is certainly abounded, uh, even insects and and. In the area I have, I hear some areas don't have as many birds, but we, we have a lot of birds here as well. So, Marshall, what about in Louisiana? Tell me that, how you understand biodiversity, what, what you understand it to be, and how important is it to you? Right. I, I agree 100% with Mr. Sledge. Um, you know, biodiversity is basically doing as much as you can um, without just trying not to monocrop. And, um, you know, it's, it's the same thing as, as larger cities. You know, you always hear about uh, get a diverse um, industry to recruit more businesses to come to a city or people. It's kind of the same idea. So you're, you're doing practices that kind of create life within the soil and um, a stale seed bed, you know, with nothing growing is not inviting to uh, microorganisms, uh, earthworms. It's not a very inviting soil type. So um, we're trying to get, do more and more cover crops. Uh, we're trying to, you know, theoretically, we would like to have something growing on our farm 365 days of the year. Uh, it just creates a healthier soil. Um, it, it creates life within within the soil that is ultimately beneficial for for our crops. Marshall, are you actually planting cotton at the moment? So right right now today we are side dressing corn. Um, we typically in the month of March plant corn, um, and then April we start planting soybeans, which we are doing today. And, and May we we plant cotton. R that's roughly the timeline. And um, so we we had our cover crop. We planted it in in the fall of two, 2020, and that grew through the winter. And and we we sprayed a pesticide on it to kill it kill the cover crop so we could plant into um, the ground. And um, so there's about a three week period there, two week period where the, nothing's growing on the ground, but uh, we're, we're pretty close behind that to, to start planting our crop. And um, the idea is of course, to plant it from say corn or cotton um, in early spring and then harvest in the fall where we'll in turn uh, plant our cover crop again. But you were saying how important it is that you always are keeping some sort of cover on, on the soil for soil conservation. And I presume that at different points of the growing cycle, you are doing other, all sorts of different things to preserve biodiversity. Correct. So the, the, the cover crop does a number of things within the soil that is um, kind of hard for a farmer like myself just to, to see the benefits of it. But I know it's there. Uh, but the cover crop at a minimum, after it dies, it, it'll lay over and it actually protects, you know, we call it a soil shield and it'll actually lay over um, and it protects the, the, the soil from just environments. I mean, it's like, it's like wearing a t-shirt versus not wearing a t-shirt. You know, you have your t-shirt off, you get sunburned, you dry out, uh, the wind's just kind of tearing at your skin. You put a shirt on and it protects you a little bit. And that's what the cover crop does essentially. Um, you know, we've seen uh, in the heat of the summer, uh, places where maybe uh, there is no cover crop, 
you know, temperatures will be in the 90s. And then you go check, pull away the cover crop in the field and check the soil temperature. It may be 10, 15 degrees cooler and lots of moisture. So those are the added benefits that uh, really help get our crop through the year and, and, and use less resources to get it there. And then do you notice then that there are more, for instance, wildflowers or pollinators around? I mean, do you actually see the difference if you're actually taking these steps? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, Sledge and I were talking before before we were doing this recording how the black bears in this area have exploded. Um, in Louisiana, they were put on the endangered species list by the federal government um, and they were protected, still are protected. But they, they've got ample food, shelter and water and, um, and mainly just feeding on, on our corn that we grow. But, um, you know, th their population has skyrocketed. They're now off the endangered species list. Um, we've seen, we've seen actual, uh, quails come back, uh, coyotes, rabbits. Um, and actually we're starting to, to have panthers in our area. So it's, it's just great for the environment. And, and it's bringing back a lot of life. And so, Sledge, what about you? What specifically do you do to try to conserve the, 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 the soil quality and the general biodiversity? What steps do you take as a, as a farmer? Well, very similar to, to Marshall. I've, I've been no-tilling our soil. I started no-tilling uh, in the late 1990s. I mean, excuse me, late 1980s. And... Uh, just kind of gradually grew into more and more no-till, which means that we do not till the, the soil at all. Uh, we just leave the soil there. We plant right back through the residue that's on the soil. Uh, and uh, so in this past year, in 2020, we we normally prepare some of our soil every year. But in 2020, it, it, it rained so much during the year that we only had uh, – 90% of the soil we planted or the crops we planted were planted no-till without any tillage. Uh, some of that had cover crop on it. This year, we planted a cover crop in the fall of 2020 on 50% of our acreage. And just like Marshall, we try to leave uh, a crop growing, something green and growing year-round. Now, what that's doing is, you know, as you well know, plants take carbon dioxide out of the air and they produce oxygen and so all of that carbon dioxide coming out of the air makes organic matter and organic matter is full of carbon and that carbon falls on on the soil and and doesn't decompose now it's going to eventually decompose but it doesn't decompose as fast so we're actually sequestering carbon and building the organic matter in our soils and the, that's very beneficial because we see more uh, rainfall infiltration in the soil, and partially that is due to earthworms, and earthworms like shade. They like that cover crop. They like the residue on the ground. And so, and plus that residue is, is food for the earthworms, so they come up and eat it, and they make these little tunnels, and the tunnels help the water to infiltrate, and the earthworms, they again make the soil a little bit more loose so that's kind of the general general procedure so you're seeing much richer soil you're seeing are you seeing much better crops as a result a, a lot uh, i cannot irrigate but about 35 percent of my crops so about uh 65 percent I, I do not irrigate 
and uh and so we and there's places that i really it's not practical to irrigate and so i've had to do things to mitigate the fact that i don't have irrigation and these cover crops and no tillage building the soil have actually done that for me and i my yields have actually uh increased where i've done this just basically due to better soil health and, and what about the wildlife generally in terms i mean you talk about earthworms um are, are, do you see pollinators around different sort of wildflowers i mean do you do you see a change over the the years that you've been doing this have you seen a change in the landscape yes i think so you know the the cover crops we we grow they they begin to flower and and they have you know they're going to try to produce seed too uh now they and they flower and so in the springtime there's a there's pollen or, or whatever for for insects and uh and then there are areas of the farm that we don't uh grow crops on and we kind of leave that as a, a little biodiverse area and and we have natural plants that come up there like milkweed uh thistle and different things that are habitat for butterflies and different insects and so yeah in general i think uh and here agriculture has uh we don't see as much agriculture in my area as we once did and we've seen uh we've seen more land go back into trees etc so uh but that's really not doesn't have anything to do with what we're actually doing on the farm but we are providing more areas for wildlife and i've got of course, you're both members of the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol. Um, do you think that actually that helps in the sense of giving you a forum through which to exchange ideas and to to learn from each other? I mean, what what do you think, Marshall? Do you do you talk a lot to other cotton growers and, and exchange thoughts? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It, the the program is set up to um, you know you you enter in your information and. Um, as you know, it spits out kind of a spiderweb diagram and it shows you how you compare to uh, the national trend and, and regional trends. So at a very minimum, that show that just, you know, right off the bat, you see, okay, well, I'm doing terrible um, with soil loss. What, what are my problems? You know, the national average is this and I'm way above it. What, what am I doing wrong? So you start taking steps to, to better those improvements and uh, you start visiting with farmers um, or people from the National Resource Conservation. Um, you know, NRCS to just talk. What What are my options? And there's several different routes to go. Uh, which the structures of drop pipes or culverts or grass waterways. You know, there's a number of things. But the the protocol is just an excellent way to see how you stand with your neighbors and with the country. And, and kind of get the thought process rolling in your head, in my opinion. And what do you think, Sledge? I mean, do you find that your your fellow cotton growers are, are all on board with this and that uh, you're trying new things? Well, I, I certainly think there's a, a certain percentage that are on board with it, and it'll continue to grow. It's just like like anything. Uh, you have your maybe your earlier adopters or whatever, and, and I think we're probably beyond that. But... Uh, the best way to uh, approach farmers is is from a peer to peer or farmer to farmer approach. The, the farmers are much more likely to take the advice of another farmer than they are uh, someone else, and uh, so <clears throat> that's that's what's going on. And I'll just give you one quick example. When I when I finished it, 
I looked at my spider diagram and it showed that I was much higher than average in energy use on my farm. And I knew I wasn't. So I said, I've made a mistake somewhere. So I went back and where did I ask for, uh, this is a little technical, but where did I ask for how much calcium carbonate I had applied to the soil? I had clicked uh, and I, the math was wrong. I had clicked the wrong thing. And so it showed I was putting out much more than I was. And I went back and corrected that. So, uh, yeah, so it, 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 that was just an example of how I've compared myself to others. And, uh, and that's what you, that's just one, one more set of data for us to look at. No, it's it's great. I mean, I think everybody says that the the, the data that's that you you're able to collect is so so useful. Um, the the phrase regenerative agriculture is a bit of a kind of buzz phrase that's going around at the moment. Maybe you think it is just that a phrase, a buzz phrase. Maybe it's something you've been doing for quite some time. But I mean, what do you think, Sledge, about this as a concept? This sort of, I suppose, circular, holistic approach to agriculture. Well, I've, I've been uh, a proponent of it for a long time, and uh, you see it at work on my farm, and uh, it's just there's so many things that can happen. Let's, just for example, I, I have more organic matter on the soil, which means more rainfall will in infiltrate into my soil, and that means less runoff for someone downstream. It means more of the nutrients staying on, onto my farm and not going into a waterway. And uh, we had a five, oh, we had over a five inch rain. I'm not sure how that compares to millimeters, but uh, last week and had massive flooding in my fields. And I went out and I took a picture of the weeds that were submerged and some of the cover crop that was submerged and the water was crystal clear. And you could just see right down to the, the water was probably a foot deep and you could see right down to the bottom. And uh, it's just an example of uh, some of the practices that are paying off. It must be really satisfying, Marshall, when you're able to do this and, and really see those sort of results that, that Sledge was talking about. I mean, what, what, what about you in this, the phrase regenerative agriculture? Is it, is it a phrase that you kind of, you use or is that something that's just in the textbooks? No, it is, it is a relatively new phrase for me. Um, but as Mr. Sledge said, the practices have been there um, for a long, long time. Uh, we, we are not quite as fortunate to be able to go no-till. Um, we what, what we call minimum tillage, where um, we do scratch up just with the very top layer of the, the ground just to get enough loose dirt to make a big row. Uh, we have, we're in the Mississippi Delta, so we're extremely flat. Um, and getting run, rain runoff and water movement um, off the field and, and the, the rows allow the plants to drought quicker. So we have to do some kind of tillage. And, and um, but we have seen our organic matter go from, you know, 1.2 to now over four. Uh, we're just doing still minimum tillage. We're not doing a deep cut. We're not flipping the dirt. We're just scratching the top of it and keeping the structure of it. And then we make these beds. So um, the regenerative, uh, Agriculture is kind of a new term for me, um, although the practices have been there for forever. It's just uh, defined a little different, I guess. And what more do you think you can do uh, as you go forward? I mean, do you do you have plans to, to do more? We we, we do. Um, we're we're expanding our acres of cover crop every year. 
Um, we're, we're also trying to do, use technology. We're relying very heavily on technology. Um, we, we are using a software program called MapShots and we're, we're taking yield data from uh, multiple years, five to seven years and creating these high, medium and low yielding maps on the field. And so we actually treat within the field differently from, you know, say, uh, a hundred yards down the field. Um, if it's a high producing productive part of the field, we'll, we'll really put, uh, high levels of seed in there. It'll increase the seed, increase the fertilizer. Um, just we're treating everything where it used to be a field by field basis. Now it's within the field and it's creating great results for us. We're putting our products where they need to be. Um, we're not, we're not wasting it. Um, you know, in, in these low yielding areas, you know, what's the point of putting 30,000 plants when 20 will do just as well. And you reducing your, your inputs and your resources and you're not wasting it. So, um, technology is the driving force for us and trying to remain biodiversified in, in their farm. And what about pesticides? Because obviously that's a, a really hot topic when we're talking about biodiversity. Um, are you able to use fewer pesticides, Marshall? I mean, what, what, how can you manage this issue? Because it is a hugely important one. It is. It is. So I've been farming full time for about seven years, and but I grew up on the farm. I've been on it all, all, the, all my life. Um, when I was a teenager working, I wasn't spraying, but I can remember, uh, you know, my dad just putting out gallons and gallons of chemicals per acre. And, and I, today, I, today I did a spray mat for our guy. Um, we're talking about one ounce per acre. Uh, or 32 ounces per acre at the high levels, not gallons per acre. And so, uh, you got to give chemical companies uh, the credit. They've, uh, discovered ways to highly concentrate this component. So we're putting out ounces and not gallons. Um, and, and it works. And, um, we have to be able to protect our crops, uh, especially in the South. It is a very tropical climate. We, uh, weed diseases insect pressure is is very high and so we uh we spray when we need to when the thresholds are there but we don't overspray because um although you're putting out ounces to the acre this stuff is still like 800 to a thousand dollars a gallon so uh, it doesn't do us any good to overspray and spray when we need to be be effective and sledge what what about you and and this issue of pesticides are you able to reduce the amount that you use oh yes we've we've reduced the amount of pesticides we use uh, enormous enormously since I, I started and of course we hire consultant and we do something that's called integrated pest management which means that we there are economic thresholds of pests and uh, you know we may have pests out there but they're not at economic uh, damaging levels and so we can tolerate those pests for a while and we may never have to spray or certainly if we do spray we've we will have reduced the number of sprays and you know i kind of liken it i mean I, the entire you know technology drives so much and i kind of liken it almost to the computer industry or the internet when we first started you know it was pretty cumbersome you know we wondered how this was ever going to work and as technology goes along we get better and better and better. I mean, sometimes we tend to look at the past and especially when farmers are looking 
when the public is looking at a farmer, they, they may be looking at information that's 30 years old. Uh, and they kind of base their decisions uh, on that. Well, we've, we've progressed so far beyond what most people's concepts of a farmer are. And I mean, I envision a day that we may not even have to use pesticides. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's not here today, but I, I envision a day that we, through technology, we may be able to do that. Well, that's good, good to hear, certainly. Um, what about the other end of the supply chain? If we're talking about biodiversity, do the fashion brands, the designers, are they talking about this themselves? I mean, Marshall, I, I read that you, a couple of years ago, in, had some fashion designers come visit. Is that right? And um, I mean, what, are the, what do they talk about? What do they want to know about in terms of your approach to biodiversity? Correct. Yes, that is correct. Uh, we're pretty excited. Um, there's a cotton mill in Vidalia, Louisiana, which is about 40 miles south of here. Uh, it's one of the first uh, mills to come back to the United States in a really long time. And they're, they're going, um, they, they've encouraged a lot of retailers because it's, um, people say that we're, you know, we're a highly scrutinized industry recently and i just kind of disagree with that because we've always been highly regulated highly scrutinized by um, the government epa and um so these products that we are using today have gone through years if not decades of trials research um and so we're we're extremely scrutinized uh, from just a governmental regulation standpoint so um you know, it's, it's important to me to be able to show the data to say, hey, this is how my cotton was grown because, uh, you know, it, it helps me source an end user for my cotton if that's what they want. And, um, you know, so I'm excited about it. It, it. It's a new route to go that the industry has not really um, maybe fully understood how it will go, but it's, it's an interesting take on it. And can I just... to just to finish, really, um, what about the, the role of being a guardian or a steward of the countryside of biodiversity of nature? Is that as important almost as your growing of cotton? I mean, what would you say, Sledge? I mean, obviously, you're making your money from the cotton, but you've also got to protect everything that's around you. You know, there's something just intrinsically I think innate within humans that uh, uh, that we love to see things around us flourish. And uh, for me, I, you know, there are practices I do that cost me money. Uh, they're, they're not economical necessarily, but I get a certain sense of satisfaction uh, from from doing them. You may do the same thing. You may grow tomatoes or flowers at your home. You could probably go to the store and buy them for less money, but there's something intrinsically satisfying satisfying about doing, you know, having some living, growing thing that you uh, that you have nurtured, and and that's the way it is with me. I, it, there's just uh, it's very satisfying to try to 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 put all of this together, see how it works, and try to improve it, and uh, and that's what I enjoy. That's why. That's why I fought. <laughs> what about you, Marshall? Being a steward and, and a, a protector of biodiversity. I, I couldn't agree more with Mr. Sledge. It's it's a bouquet of just beautiful flowers when you just kind of step back and just look at it. Um, 
you know, as Mr. Sledge said, we do do practices that cost us money. And, and one of those things is, is we usually leave about 50 feet of uh, soybeans. We don't harvest them and we leave those for... We leave those for uh, for wildlife to feed on through the winter, birds, deer. Um, obviously, that's just a straight loss for us, but, but it's important to us to have a good, good life, whether it's the top of the food chain being humans or the bottom of the food chain being microorganisms in the soil. So as we all flourish, um, we all will do well and it will continue. And, and as I said, I'm a fourth generation farmer. Um, I don't have any children, but my brother does. So it's it's a very natural in the uh, farming industry that uh, you know you, you see the next generation love to be outside first of all, and then they may actually want to farm too. So you get to pass it on, and then they're just another stepping stone in the family tradition. Well, thank you both very much. It sounds like your dog might need your attention there, Marshall. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for listening and a lot of thoughts there on biodiversity and the regenerative agriculture techniques growers are using. So that's it for this edition of the US Cotton Trust Protocol's Smarter Conversations podcast. You can learn more about the Trust Protocol at trustuscotton.org. So I hope you can join us again next time. For now, goodbye. <laughs>